0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 930 we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you.
1: As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Speak to us, living God, as you have spoken to our ancestors through the voices of your prophets, the breath of your spirit, and the life of your Son, so that we may live according to your word. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah. Listen for God's word to you. Even though our sins testify against us, help us, Lord, for your name's sake. We have turned away from you and sinned against you time and again. You are the hope of Israel, its savior in times of trouble. Why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler spending only the night? Why are you like one taken by surprise, like a warrior unable to act? Yet you are in our midst, Lord. We are called by your name. Don't give up on us. This is what the Lord proclaims about this people. Since they have loved to wander off and haven't restrained themselves, I won't accept them. Now I will recall their wrongdoing and punish their sin. So deliver this word to them. My eyes well up with tears. I can't stop weeping day and night because my virgin daughter, my people, has suffered a crushing blow and is mortally wounded. If I go into the fields, I see only the slain in battle. If I enter the city, I see only those suffering from famine. Even both prophet and priest wander about aimlessly in ignorance. Lord, have you completely rejected Judah? Do you hate Zion? Why then have you mortally wounded us? We look for peace, but nothing good comes of it. For a time of healing, only to be terrorized. We acknowledge our sin, Lord, the wrongdoing of our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. For your name's sake, don't reject us. Don't scorn your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us. Don't break it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Listen at the crossroads God's wisdom calls. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. The word of the Lord My friend Barbara was baptized in the Episcopal Church in the gorgeous Cathedral of St. John the Divine in Manhattan, no less. But her family didn't stay for long. You see, the tightly choreographed worship life of the Episcopal Church grated against her mother's sensibilities. Barbara's mother had been raised Lutheran, an identity that had less to do with actual religious conviction and more a general hatred of all things Catholic. The incense, the chanting, the kneeling felt too much like what she was brought up to reject. It wasn't all that long ago when anti-Catholic sentiment was a given in US public life. Only 60 years ago, waspy voters wondered if Pope John XXIII would control John F. Kennedy if he were elected president. I've heard baby boomer Presbyterians recall the scandal of Catholic Protestant weddings, calling them mixed marriages, only partly in jest. I was flabbergasted to learn that in living memory, the Ku Klux Klan was active in Lodi, of all places, primarily to intimidate Catholics. Lodi! This history weighs on my mind. Today, our Lutheran neighbors remember the Protestant Reformation, particularly that fateful October 31st in 1517, when a young monk nailed his complaints to the church door in Wittenberg. My Lutheran pastor friends are exchanging their green stoles for the red vestments they last wore on Pentecost, because reform in the church is the work of the Holy Spirit. But red stoles and red paraments could just as easily stand for all the blood that has been spilled over the past five centuries. From the religious wars of the 1600s, to the way that anti-Catholic and anti-immigrant sentiment go hand in hand, from the distrust between neighbors, to the deadly sin of clinging to being right over loving kindness and mercy. And, as if right on cue, Luke gives us this parable that Jesus told to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous. It's a zinger of a story with a cast of characters both foreign and so so familiar. There's the Pharisee who goes above and beyond, who gives both money and volunteer hours to the local food bank, whose prayer life is an inspiration, who sits on every committee and contributes ideas and energy, and if he runs them, with efficiency. As a friend of mine said, if your kid got lost in a crowd, you would tell them to look for a Pharisee. And then there's the tax collector, whom you're kind of surprised to see at the temple. Is it a major holiday or something? He'd just as soon be making a buck off of his neighbors. Remember, when you work for the Roman Empire's IRS, you're expected to charge extra and line your pockets. Honestly, I can't tell whether this guy is standing at a distance from the crowd because of the dirty looks they're throwing his way, or if the folks in the crowd decided to put as much physical distance between themselves and this schmuck as they could. We have our cast of characters. We think we know them. But then the Pharisee goes and opens his mouth. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, this tax collector included. Jesus doesn't tell us how the people around him reacted, but I can tell you this. Other Pharisees would have given him major side eye. We know this because we have their writings Rabbi Hanina Bendosa said, for anyone whose fear of sin takes precedence over their wisdom, their wisdom will endure. And for anyone whose wisdom takes precedence over their fear of sin, their wisdom will not endure. And Rabbi Gamaliel, who shows up in the book of Acts, said, don't have confidence in yourself until the day you die, and don't judge your companion until you stand in their place. Ironically, real Pharisees would follow the example of the tax collector. As Rabbi Simeon said, when you pray, don't treat your praying as a matter of routine, but let it be a plea for mercy and supplication before the omnipresent God. The blessed one, as it is said, for the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So yeah, the other Pharisees would be shaking their heads, probably laughing too, because they get Jesus' joke. You can do all the right things for all the right reasons But the second you judge someone the way God judges them, you've missed the point. But the schmuck who asked for mercy goes home right with God. It's funny how Jesus' parables trip me up. You see, I was laughing along until I realized that I kind of enjoy Judging the Pharisee for judging the tax collector. I was laughing along until I started wondering, well, why does the tax collector receive mercy? It's a waste. He's never going to change. I was laughing along until I realized how much more I love being right than I love mercy God is straight up merciful in this parable. The tax collector beseeches the Holy One for mercy and receives it. Simple. Heck, even if the Pharisee caught his neighbors giggling at him and checked himself, he would receive mercy too. Mercy flows freely from heaven to earth. God doesn't stand at a distance but approaches us with a driving and deep desire for life-giving relationship with us. God sees the state of the world, and as the prophet Jeremiah said, God's eyes well up with tears. Lately, a haunting refrain has played on repeat in my mind. It seems to touch that tender spot that resists grace and mercy. It goes like this. When the world is sick, can't no one be well? But I dreamt we was all beautiful and strong. When the world is sick, Can't no one be well But I dreamt we was all beautiful and strong Sing that with me When the world is sick Can't no one be well But I dreamt we was all beautiful and strong when the world is sick can't no one be well but I dreamt we was all beautiful and strong. When the world is sick none of us can be well. Or as Paul says when one member Suffers, the whole body suffers. When the suffering and sickness go back and back and back, generation after generation, a band-aid and a kiss from mom isn't gonna make it feel better. The people of Judah knew what the world's sickness meant. They prayed, we acknowledge our sin, Lord, the wrongdoing of our ancestors, because we have sinned before you. The wrongdoing of our ancestors. There's no distancing the sins of the present from those of the past. There's no, oh, I'm not responsible for what my great-grandparents did. They tell the truth. The sins of the fathers and of the mothers visit on the heads of the daughters and the sons. Our sacred story won't let us pretend that we're self-made individuals. Sin is communal. Sin is original. We, too, get stuck in sin, the refusal to be vulnerable the refusal to trust God, the sin that goes all the way back to our first parents. But our sacred story also has a dream that we will all be beautiful and strong. And even better, Scripture insists that the God who dreams this future for us is Actively involved in our lives to transform and redeem. Sin meets mercy. Sin resists mercy, but mercy outlasts sin. And because it is God's mercy, mercy makes things right. Makes things right. That sounds more authentic than saying that mercy justifies, I think. I've never particularly been a fan of the word justified in church because nine times out of ten in common speech, justified usually means rationalized, which involves a form of self-deception. You justify your decision to eat a whole pint of ice cream in one sitting. You justify the joke that you made at another person's expense. You have your reasons. You rationalize, regardless of the facts or the consequences. For the tax collector to go home Justified, in this sense, makes mercy sound like an exercise in self-deception, as if asking God for forgiveness makes it okay to keep hurting others and yourself. It's not okay. It's not okay for the tax collector to extort people. It's not okay for the Pharisee to look down on others. And at the same time, At the same time, it is not okay for these two men to be trapped in a society that makes self-preservation and survival the most important values. Their world is sick. They can't be well, and neither can we. Mercy doesn't smooth out the wrinkles Mercy is healing. The first step of healing. And the next step. And the next one. And the next one. Mercy is God's persistence in loving creation in a way that makes a difference. Friends, I don't want to be justified. I want to be redeemed which is to say, I want to be free. I want to be set free of the sin that keeps me judgmental. I want to be free from shame and fear. I want to be free to love others and cook for them and bake bread and plant gardens. And I don't want that for myself alone, but for the other 8 billion people who occupy this planet with me. I want justice to roll down like waters and to flourish like an old growth forest. And I believe that God wants this too. For me, for you, for the whole world. Mercy is the bridge from God's desire to our destiny. It is the bridge that Jesus walks to reach us. It is the pathway of healing and teaching that he traveled that led all the way to the cross, to the place where mercy loves us at our worst. Folks, mercy is God's first name, and Jesus is that gracious name made flesh, Mercy is God's spirit poured out on all the earth when the world is sick. Mercy sounded in the voice of Johannes Brentz raised during the Protestant Reformation, calling for Lutherans to stop killing other Christians who believed differently than they did. Mercy germinated in the conversations between Protestant and Catholic Church in the 20th century, and for that matter, between church and synagogue too. Mercy led to reconciliation through Christ over demonic doctrinal righteousness. Mercy sustains the weary soul who lives with the consequences of violence done over the centuries, racism, sexism, generational poverty, and violence perpetuated against her personally in this lifetime. Mercy not only whispers rumors of change, mercy demands that the dream of beauty and strength and wholeness awaken while the sun still shines and the glaciers still have ice. If mercy stirs your spirits, friends, then the old saying is true. The soul rejoices in hearing what it already knows. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, Father Greg Boyle shared this encounter. Father Boyle was sitting with 15-year-old Rigo at a county detention facility where Rigo had spent a considerable amount of his young life. In preparing Rigo to take his first communion, Boyle asked him about his background, his faith, his family. Tell me about your dad. Oh. Well, he's an addict, Rigo said. Never really been in my life, barely even lived with us, and when he did, he hit us. A lot. He's in prison now. And recalling this, Rigo went to some painful place in his past, and before long, he began crying and rocking back and forth. Father Boyle simply sat with him until the tears passed. What about your mom? Rigo pointed some distance from where they were sitting to a tiny woman standing at the doorway to the common room's entrance. That's her over there. His face relaxed. There is no one like her. I've been locked up in here for more than a year and a half. She comes to visit me every Sunday. You know how many buses she takes every Sunday to see my sorry self? And then, quite unexpectedly, he sobbed with the same fierceness as before. Gasping through his tears, he said, Seven. She takes seven buses. Just imagine... Friends, just imagine when Jesus says all who lift themselves up will be brought low and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. He says this with more love than we can fathom. He says it like a mother willing to take seven buses every Sunday to sit with us in that low place, in the place where we are sick and ashamed and trapped. Beloved of the Lord, trust this, that in mercy Jesus will lift us up. In mercy God will make things right. For such mercy, for such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, giver of our days, gift of perfect love, power and peace given to us all. Amen.